Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to pick up where we left off in point number four in our handout on the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. So we're looking at point number four. And for those of you that uh, either are joining us uh, for the first time or perhaps have had not, not had a chance to visit the uh, radio station website to find a copy of the handout that we have that has all the scriptures that we are talking about uh, in each of these points that we're covering in this series, you can go to whcbradio.org and find that at Exploring Bible Prophecy. So let's uh, go ahead uh, in today's program and pick up in number four. And of course, we've been in number four for the last uh, couple of programs talking about the forever aspect of the rapture, that when we are caught up with Christ in the air, that is a forever thing that we do not come back to the earth at any point in time in our in our carnal mortal bodies to uh, continue on and then to die when we are raptured with the Lord it is a forever event uh, we saw in first um, Thessalonians chapter 4 that it uh, makes the point about it being a forever event then in John 14 he says uh, Jesus says I am coming to take you to where I am and of course we know Jesus has been in heaven for the last two millennia, for the last 2,000 years since he was lifted off the earth, as described in Acts chapter 1, noted in our verses there, that um, he has been there, and when he is uh, called to by his Father God to come and get his church, that when we are going to him, we will be going uh, never to come back in a mortal body. When we come back, we'll be in a glorified, immortal body. And that point was... Uh, hopefully made clear to you in 1 Corinthians 15 when we read the verses there in 50 to 58 about the uh, imperishable, perishable taking on the imperishable and the mortal taking on the immortal aspect of it because the point is made in 1 Corinthians 15, 50. And let's go ahead and go there and let's uh, start in our program today with um, a Bible verse and let's uh, continue on as we go through the, the many verses that uh, have been selected here to uh, support this point, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, and it says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So we are talking about the fact that we as humans cannot be part of this kingdom that has been in preparation since the... Um, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and his glorification into heaven, which, if you will, kicked off the start of the church age at Pentecost. And that was marked by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit into uh, each human being that accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And of course, we're told in John 14, six, uh, the verses 16 and 17, that the Holy Spirit comes into us, dwells with us. And the key point is, will never leave us. He will be with us forever. So there's that forever aspect again. 
the Holy Spirit coming into you is a guarantee uh, that you will inherit eternal life with Jesus Christ. So what a what a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful uh, statement of fact that is in God's Word. So we see this uh, forever aspect in 1 Corinthians 15, and that forever requires an imperishable body, and that's what we receive during the rapture. And when I say we, I wanted to take a moment here in today's uh, program and look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15 at this wonderful rapture passage, and look at verse 51. We were just in verse 50 talking about flesh and blood, and then in verse 51, and again, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth, um, and by church, by talking to the church in Corinth, he's basically talking to the church universal, all Christians of all time from the um, p- point of Pentecost on, called the church age. So he's talking to all of us, and he says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now, who is the all here? All that aren't sleeping, that are alive, and the will, and we will all be changed. Now, in context, he's talking to the church at Corinth, and this is the point I want to make here, is that there is um, a fair amount of guilt that is being generated in various churches, various denominations, that uh, not all Christians are the same, that there are good Christians that are about the Lord's work, that are glorifying God in their daily walk, and that there are others that, well, just aren't doing that. And those uh, can go by different names, but they are basically looked down upon. And that is what uh, has caused these various teachers, I call them false teachers, because it's definitely not supported in the Bible, but they call it a partial rapture, a partial rapture, partial rapture theory, partial rapture doctrine. And it basically says that the good Christians the ones that are active disciples of Christ and all about his work are the ones that will go in the rapture. And that those who are not about the Lord's work, um, for whatever uh, title or description you might want to give to them, that they are not deserving of the blessings of God right away, that they must be punished for their lack of um, uh, willingness to be about the Lord's work at least in the eyes of those on the earth who are judging them, that uh, they have to go through some part of the tribulation in order to be punished. And then when that has uh, hopefully been effective and they've they've realized, quote-unquote, the error of their ways, then they are raptured. So there's more than one rapture, called the partial rapture theory. Well, that is definitely not true uh, by any stretch of the imagination. A Christian is a Christian, um, I mentioned a few moments ago in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, it says when the Holy Spirit comes in you, he's in you forever. And whether or not you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you for the glory of God is something that you basically are responsible for and in control of. And if you do not allow the Holy Spirit for whatever uh, carnal reason to work uh, in and through you, you are referred to as a stumbling block. But nowhere does it say that if you're a stumbling block that the Holy Spirit will be taken away from you. Uh, That Holy Spirit, that wonderful Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is with a Christian forever, 
regardless of what happens. And I think the Corinthian passage here in 1 Corinthians 15 pretty much sums it up for me, because when you think about all the churches that Paul started um, and preached in during his uh, three missionary journeys and in Jerusalem, the Corinthian church had to be the most, if you will, suspect. Uh, you can go through uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, all 16, I believe it is, of those uh, chapters, and it's amazing the evil and the division and the sexual immorality that went on. Yet Paul said, we will all not sleep, but we will all be changed, referring to the Corinthian church. And specifically, and I don't, I don't have them in here because it was just a thought that came to me in support of this, but in, in thinking about the church at Corinth and uh, thinking about how we would see them as evil, of course, we judge man on the outside and, ju- and God judges the heart. And I think that's the key thing to understand here that uh, when the rapture happens, it's going to be all Christians. So let's look at Corinth, and let's let's look at the Corinthian church. And we're in 1 Corinthians 15, and if we go back to the left in our Bible, just a few pages, and go to 1 Corinthians 6. So right in the middle of um, chastising, if you will, right in the middle of Paul chastising the church at Corinth for their many indiscretions, we find in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6, and looking at verse 20, he says, for you, and he's talking to the body here at Corinth, the the church, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So he's basically confirming for us as the reader or for anyone that the church at Corinth was bought with a price. In other words, that's Jesus Christ. So they are Christians. And he even goes out of his way to say this again in the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And if we look, I believe it's down here in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23, he reiterates, For you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So basically he was talking about people becoming the slaves of men, being caught up in in carnal activities and so forth. And he's reminding them, you were bought with a price. So when he, back to 1 Corinthians 15 and this wonderful rapture passage, when Paul says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, he's talking to the church of Jesus Christ. He's talking to everyone who made a profession in their heart and then expressed it with their mouth, as we find in, in Romans 10, that they are going in the rapture. Now, it's not the matter of whether or not they go in the rapture. That's sealed at the moment of salvation. So no matter what happens, they're going in the rapture. The key thing after that is the Bema Seat judgment, and that's where Jesus will differentiate uh, with rewards, not with punishments, but with, with rewards as to uh, what we did here on the earth. If we were zealous for the Lord or if we were, uh, let's just say, not zealous, that we will be judged then, but we will all be with the Lord in heaven forever. And then from there, wherever he goes, when it's back to the earth for a thousand years, we will be there with him. So let's, um, let's look at our handout here in point number four, talking about forever and who these people are. Um, 
the uh, the immortal ones. And let's go to the book of Romans. So we're in 1 Corinthians. So go back just a little bit to uh, the next book to the left, uh, Romans, and go to Romans chapter 2, as you can see in our handout. Romans chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 5 to 9. 5 to 9. Romans chapter 2, 5 to 9. And he's talking to two groups of people here. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, they will have eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be a tribulation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. So the point here uh, being made is the two different groups of people, and those that are the righteous, which is the church. Um, we are persevering and doing good work, looking at verse 7, and we are looking for glory and honor and immortality. And those that are looking, who are, who are uh, persevering and doing good work for glory, honor, and immortality, they will be rewarded with eternal life. They will be re- rewarded with that eternal life that we've been talking about, the foreverness of being with Jesus But in verse 8, it says, But those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation is what they have to look forward to. And it's interesting, in the next verse it says, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Back at verse 8, at the very end of that verse, it says, Wrath and indignation. Those are the words that are used by John the Revelator in Revelation to talk about the tribulation period. It is a period of wrath and indignation for all of those who refuse to accept and receive the truth of the gospel, uh, the, the, the precious uh, gift of Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. They've refused that, so they will see the wrath and indignation. But at the end of verse 7, we see those who have persevered, that is the church, we will see eternal life with him. And then the next uh, passage in our in our handout at point four under the rapture is Hebrews chapter nine. So if you go from Romans back to the right past the Corinthians and the prison epistles and um, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, um, Philemon, and then you get into Hebrews. And let's go to Hebrews chapter nine. Hebrews chapter nine. And we're looking at the uh, the last two verses in Hebrews chapter 9. And it says, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ, also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So here we're talking about those that are eagerly awaiting the Lord. Uh, And of course, who would be the ones who are eagerly awaiting the Lord, but the Lord's own people, the Lord's uh, church. 
because we've known through our study of the Word and listening to um, correct teachers and to uh, fellow believers that uh, understand the Word that there is no sign between now and the rapture of the church and that we are to eagerly await him. As a matter of fact, we're told in in, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 that we get a crown simply for eagerly awaiting the return of the Lord. When we see him, we'll get at least one of the five crowns simply for eagerly awaiting him. And it says that um, when he appears this second time, now, it, it, it's uh, people will say, well, that's got to be the second coming. But no, he appears to the church the second time in the rapture. And then he appears to the world the second time on the earth. So the earth is not involved in the rapture of the church. The, the unbelievers on the church won't see it. And the other uh, key point that tells us this is the rapture, it says that when he comes, he will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. And talk about wonderful. That basically is telling us that when Jesus comes, he's going to rapture the church. And when we stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema seat, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we will be judged without reference to sin as we stand there in our immortal bodies. I mean, we have already been sealed by the Holy Spirit the moment we accepted Christ. We've taken on our immortal bodies. We are now raptured into heaven. We're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll be judged only for our works here on the earth after we became a Christian through the, through the uh, use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that indwells each of us forever, and that we will only be judged uh, for our works, nothing to do with sin. So what a wonderful picture that is of uh, being in our immortal bodies, knowing that uh, in our immor- immortality um, that we have no sin. So therefore, there can't be a judgment for sin. And then finally, uh, our last verse here in point four is in Second uh, Timothy chapter one. So go back just to the left, a couple of books, You'll find Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and look at Timothy, Second Timothy, one ten, and it says, "But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." So when he died on the cross, he abolished death for all those who would accept him as their Lord and Savior. That's the point. That when you died at any point uh, during the church age, from from um, Pentecost on, when you died in Christ, you knew that you were only going to be in the grave for a period of time, and then you would be raised and be with the Lord forever. We want to answer a, a question from a listener here, so let's uh, let's go ahead and pick up our series next time. We've got a question here from a listener in Bluntville, and that listener has asked, will backslidden Christians be taken in the rapture? What have we been talking about here in our program? But the same thing. So what a, what a timely question here from this listener in Bluntville. Let's start by uh, defining uh, for our listener what a Christian is. And people may say, well, that's pretty obvious, but let's go ahead and see what the Scriptures ha- says, and let's go to Romans Go to Romans chapter 10. Go to Romans chapter 10, and let's look at verse 9. 
Yeah, 9, and uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 reads that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then in John 14, which we have just been talking about, John chapter 14, and looking at verses 16 and 17, this is talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is describing this in the upper room discourse to the apostles, to the 11, because Judas is now gone. And Jesus is now talking about what the, um, the kingdom uh, is going to be like, and he's preparing them for that. In John 14, it says in verse 16, I, a- I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it not does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So at this point in time, Jesus is walking on the earth, so the Holy Spirit abided on the apostles. But at Pentecost, uh, from that point forward, the Holy Spirit came in to dwell forever within the apostles and anyone who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then in John 6, let's go to the same book here in the book of John and go back to the left just a little bit, a little bit to John chapter 6. And looking at verse 37, here's another wonderful truth. In John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. What a wonderful, wonderful truth we have that describes a Christian. So the point is that when you come to Christ, Jesus at no time will cast you out. And John 14 says the Holy Spirit will never leave you. And then we have in uh, Colossians. So let's go from John back to the right, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. Then we have Galatians, Ephesians. And then we get to Philippians and Colossians. And if you go to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, to make another point here about Christians, Colossians 1.9 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we have been bought uh, with a heavy price, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit wants nothing more than to bring us a knowledge of who God is, and, and through the knowledge of who God is, we will be inspired, we will be motivated to be about his work and bearing fruit in every good work. So that describes who a Christian is. Now... 
when we stand before Jesus at the Bema seat, we'll be judged based on what we did on this earth. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us in verse um, 9, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, just as we read over there in Colossians. And in verse 10 uh, of 2 Corinthians 6, or 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So the, the point here is that all Christians are going to stand before the Bema seat and are going to be judged. And that includes what you might call as backslidden Christians. So let's see if we can understand that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says starting in verse 10, According to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. This is Paul talking, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on, on it remains, he will receive a reward. And here it is, verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through the fire. So the point here is, is that the Bema Seed of Christ, all Christians are going to be judged. But remember from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, there will be no reference to sin at the Bema Seed. It'll all be about works that were done while here on earth through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Those that please God during their earthly lives will receive rewards and blessings. Those that did not please God with their earthly lives will not receive rewards. The key point is in all of this, all believers in Christ will stand and all believers will be judged, but all believers will go to heaven. That includes those so-called black backslidden Christians who built on the foundation of Christ with what the Bible calls wood, hay, and straw. It'll be judged as unworthy of rewards, but they will enter heaven, yet so as through fire. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.